Boys and girls, how are you today? Y'all look at me. Don't look at yourselves on the screen. Look up here at me. I'm glad you're here, and it's good to be in God's house to worship Him, and I'm just so excited to see all your smiling faces because it just, it excites, I think it makes God so happy to see children here in His house praising Him and learning about Him and and His Son Jesus and what He did for us on the cross. So we are here to celebrate and worship Him today. Miss Audrey Reddick has a happy club bag. Let's see what Miss Audrey brought today. Something hard. Is it a book? Is it a picture? What is it? Bless you. It is a patch. A-T-A. I open it up. What does it... What is A-T-A? American Taekwondo Association. American Taekwondo Association. Audrey, are you doing Taekwondo? Do you have a, you wear a belt, like a color belt? What color? Orange. Orange. Does that mean you've progressed up? What can you do? Could you, could you hurt me? No, yes. oh, no. <laughs> oh, don't hurt me. Y'all don't hurt me. I don't know Taekwondo. But, uh, you know, the thing, the thing about Taekwondo, how often do you go to practice? Monday and Thursday evening, and you go and practice Taekwondo and different color belts. What are the color belts? How do they start off? First, you start off as a white belt. White. Orange. Orange. Yellow. Yellow. Um, and then it goes on up. I know black belt's the top, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And then, and then, well, why do you like it? Why do you do it? Do you want to beat people up? <laughs> no. Why do you do it? Um, Is it fun? Um, you want to be able to defend yourself, take care of yourself, protect yourself. It's a great discipline, and it's, uh, it's, it's just a great way for, for confidence and discipline. Y'all look at me. Y'all look at me. <laughs> um, and it's a great way to take care of yourself. I, you know, I think that's great, Audrey, that you're doing that. And I guess the thing that it reminds me of is you know, the fact that you go twice a week, and you're learning, and you're progressing, and you're developing, and you're improving. It reminds me of coming to church. When we come to church, you know, we don't get different color belts as we become older Christians. But what we do is we learn about God and we learn about Jesus and, we, and all the things he's done for us. And we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And that's what's so important. It doesn't happen by accident. And Audrey doesn't improve in Taekwondo just by accident. How do you, how do you get better? By practicing, by going and, and practicing twice a week. And, and that's what we do when we come to church. We read the Bible. We pray, we hear about God, we share what he's doing in our lives, and every week we're growing. And one day we want, to be, we want to be mature Christians, we want to be strong Christians. And that happens over time, Audrey, as we grow and practice. So, good luck on Taekwondo. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. I think it's a great discipline and it's great for you also for exercise. So good for that. Okay. Boys and girls, let's pray and ask God to help us grow in our relationship with him. You pray after me. Dear God, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Help us grow daily and know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Audrey, for sharing that. Miss Sabina, it's a boy's turn, isn't it? Yes, Thomas Lee. Thomas, will you take the bag home and bring back something special?
All right. Thank you. Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina to children's worship if you'd like to. I didn't know you were doing Taekwondo. That's cool.
the opportunity to observe Gideon Sunday, which is uh, a time for us to be informed about what the Gideons do. It's a great ministry that comes alongside the church, and their only purpose is to distribute the Bibles, God's Word, throughout the world as widely as possible. And, and over and over again, I hear testimonies about the promise that God gave us, how it comes true, that if his word is sent forth, it will not return void. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Dent. Michael is originally from Sylvester, but he uh, has a dental practice in Ashburn now. He's been a Gideon for many years. Um, he and his wife of 21 years, Carrie, have three sons, Spencer, Joel, and Drew, and he's a member of Heritage Church in Moultrie. So uh, he's going to come and share a Gideon testimony, and then at the conclusion of our services today, there'll be ushers at the exits to receive a special offering, 100% of which will go to purchase Bibles. So help me welcome Michael Dent this morning. Well, I tell you, times have really gotten hard. And so I've made a decision that when I get home today, I'm going to kill my entire family and then take my own life. Those were the words of a businessman in India whose business was failing. The, the bills were piling up and he didn't see any way out of this situation other than to just take his own life. 
But he couldn't bear the thought of leaving his family behind. So as he locked the doors at his business that day, he had this plan in mind that when he got home, he was going to kill his entire family and then take his own life. But as the Lord would have it, the Gideons had been at his daughter's school that day and had given her a little testament kind of like this one. So as he got home that night and walked in, that little book caught his eye. And he bent over and he picked it up. And he opened it up. And the front of every Gideon Bible is a place that says help in time of need. And this was a man that was in need. And he began to read some of the passages that it it directed him to there. And in the back of every Gideon Bible is a plan of salvation. He began, began reading about the love that God showed us through his son Jesus Christ. And the plan that he had for him. And the sacrifice that he had made so that he could have a relationship with him. And he bowed his he bowed. And he said a prayer and he accepted Jesus as his Savior that day. And then he gathered his family together and he shared with them what he had planned to do that day. And then he shared with them what he had found in God's Word. And he led his entire family to the Lord that day. And I tell you, it's testimonies like this that get me excited about being a Gideon, about the work that we as Gideons do here in the United States and throughout the world. Because these are the stories that we hear all the time about how God's Word is transforming people's lives. Because if He had carried out His initial plan that day, that family would be in hell today. But because the Gideons had been at that school that they had been faithful to take God's Word, we are going to see that family in heaven one day. And I praise God for that. And that's why we're here this morning to share with you what we've been doing for the last year. We're excited to tell you that the Gideons are currently serving in 194 countries throughout the world. And when I say 194, I'm talking about Muslim countries, communist countries, countries where a professional minister cannot come in. But because the Gideons are a businessmen's organization, they allow the Gideons to come in and bring these Bibles in. Because we believe that we don't have to be a preacher or a missionary, that if we can just get God's Word in there... God is going to accomplish great things through His Word. Because, see, we as Gideons, the the verse that we really hang our hat on is Isaiah 55, 11. It says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I put. Now, what does that mean to us? That if we can get God's Word out there, God is going to change lives through His Word. And that's what we're about. We're not about just handing out Bibles. We're about seeing men and women and boys and girls get saved. That is what we're about as Gideons. Now again, we're in 194 countries throughout the world. Now to put that in perspective, what does that mean? Well, there are currently 18 countries left in the world where the Gideons are not. And that's what we're praying for now, that God will open the doors of those last 18 countries. Because, see, we are serious about the Great Commission. We want to take His Word throughout the whole world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, a great story, too, from right here in Georgia that really emphasizes to me Isaiah 55, 11. In Fayette County, they have a little county fair. And the Gideons there said, well, this will be a great opportunity for us to go and, and distribute Bibles because there's going to be a lot of people in town. So they did, and they went this, did this Bible distribution. They gave a little Bible like this to a little boy. And he was really excited about it. He ran to show his daddy, Daddy, look what somebody gave me. And his father took the Bible from him, and he said, Well, son, that's nice, but the truth is, he really didn't think much about that little Bible. Because, see, they were already Christians. They probably had half a dozen Bibles at their house already. So he really didn't think much about that little testament. So at the end of the day, he took it, and he just sort of tossed it up on the dashboard of his pickup truck. 
Well, Monday morning rolls around and he goes to work and he picks up one of the guys he works with and they're driving through town and every time he cuts a corner, that Bible's sliding back and forth on the dashboard of his pickup truck. So finally the other guy reached up there and stopped it and picked it up and kind of started flipping through it and, and started asking the fellow some questions about what he was reading there. And do you know he led his coworker to the Lord that morning in his pickup truck? And it was not because he had set out to witness to the guy that day. It was because that Bible's sliding back and forth on the dashboard. So that's what we believe. We believe if we can just get God's Word out there, He's going to accomplish great things. So again, we're here this morning just to give you a little bit of a report of what we're doing because you see, we believe that we are partners with First Baptist. We're in those 194 countries because First Baptist allows, gives us the money to buy the Bibles to allow us to go. So we take that, that partnership serious. So we want to tell you what we're doing with the money you've, you've provided. And I want to ask you this morning to consider partnering with our ministry. And I can think of three different ways that you could do that. Number one, come be a Gideon. The Tifton Gideons would love for you to come be a part of our group here and the things that are going on here. And one thing you should know about that, if you're a Gideon, that does not mean you have to get up in front of people and speak in churches like that. In fact, there's only just a few of us that do that. But, you know, what we do is we go to the elementary schools and we give Bibles to the kids in the school. And we go to ABAC and we give Bibles to those college students. We have a very big prison ministry here in Tiff County. You may want to come be a part of that. Again, we take Bibles to the nursing homes and to the hospitals, to the doctor's offices. When the military men are getting ready to deploy overseas, we put Bibles in their hands. So that's a lot of what we do. So you may want to come be a part of this ministry. And we would invite you to come do that. The second way, again, you can support us, of course, is financially. And again, well, there's going to be an offering at the end of the service. Now, a couple of things I'd like to say about that, and they may surprise you. Number one, we do not want your tithe money. Because, see, we believe that God's Word is very specific, that the tithe belongs in the local storehouse, and that's here at First Baptist. And I know a lot of times when the Gideons come, people will say, well, the Gideons are here this week, I'll just give my tithe to them. We don't want that money. See, what we're looking for is we're after your Walmart money. We're after your round of golf money. If you were going out to lunch after church today, maybe have a peanut butter sandwich and give that money to the Gideons and sow into the kingdom. Because we're going to take that money and we're going to buy Bibles with it. And that's another thing that, like Brother Wayne said, 100% of the money you give buys Bibles. Now, how is that possible? We have a big international headquarters up in Nashville, and we have a phone bill and a, and a power bill. But those of us who are Gideons pay dues to be Gideons, and the money that we pay pays all the overhead of our ministry. So when you give money to the Gideons, 100% of that money buys Bibles. Now, because the Gideons print our own Bibles, and then we then mail them to the Gideons, and then the Gideons themselves take them and place them in those hotel rooms or actually put them in people's hands, we do this pretty cheaply. A hotel Bible like this, which we found has an average lifespan of about seven years in a hotel room before it has to be replaced, that has the potential to reach as many as 22,000 people in that hotel room in seven years, this Bible costs $5. Now this little testament that saved the lives of that entire family in India is only $1.35. And it's a testament like this that we take to the elementary school. And I'm putting it in the hands of these kids right here in Tifton. And you know what? We know that even though we're right here in the Bible Belt, we know that there's a lot of those kids that we're giving these Bibles to. That that's going to be the only Bible in that home. And we're excited to go. That's the highlight of my Gideon year is going to the elementary school. And we praise God that the Tiff County schools are still open for us to do that. So again, consider supporting us financially. Now the third way you can support our ministry, and I saved it for last because it's by far the most important, is pray for us. Pray for our ministry. Pray for those 18 countries 
There's only 18 countries left in the world and that's where it's exciting. But I'm going to tell you, those are 18 tough countries. It's going to take a work of God for us to get in there. But we know that with God, nothing is impossible. So we're praying that God will open those doors and that when He does, that we'll be faithful to be ready to walk through those doors. So be praying for us. And as I close, there's one country in particular that I'd ask you to be praying for. And it's one of our Gideon countries. Because, you know, I shared with you that in the back of every Gideon Bible is the plan of salvation. Now that's true in 193 out of 194 countries. There's one country in the world that will allow us to bring the Bibles in, but they will not allow us to put the plan of salvation in the back. And it may surprise you who it is because it's not Vietnam and it's not uh, Lebanon and it's not Russia. It's this little Red Testament that I take to the elementary schools in the public school system of the United States of America. The back page in this Bible is blank because in the United States of America, only country on earth, in the United States of America, I cannot take a Bible into the public school system that has the plan of salvation in the back. So people, please pray for our ministry and please pray for our country. Psalm 126.3 The Lord has done great things for us and we were joyful. Will you please stand as we sing hymn number four, To God Be the Glory.
for Mitney. Um, when Gary called me and asked me to give the prayer today, um, I told him I would be honored to. And I asked Jesus what would he have me to say today. And, um, and he has spoke to me in, in the past few days. But as I was walking out of my bedroom this morning, I picked up my devotional book. I went walking out, and I turned back, and God told me to pick it up. I know many of you know that uh, in June, I broke my arm severely and um, had to go to Macon. But the night before my surgery in my devotion, this is what God told me. I'm around you like a cocoon of light. My presence with you is a promise, independent of your awareness of me. Many things can block this awareness, but the major culvert is worry. My children tend to accept worry as the inescapable fact of life. However, worry is a form of unbelief. Who is in charge of your life? If is it you, then you have good reason to worry. But if is it I, then worry is both unnecessary and counterproductive. When you start to feel anxious about something, relinquish this situation to me. Back off a bit, redirecting your focus to me. I will either take care of this problem myself, or I will show you how to handle it. In this world, you will have problems, but you need not lose sight of me. Jesus asks us to be in his presence every day, all day, and that is so difficult for me. I'm sure it is for you, too. But this author's, this scripture comes, and this devotion comes from Luke 12, 22 through 31, and John 16, 33. May we all join our hearts in prayer. I most gracious Heavenly Father, I come with you with thanksgiving and praise. I praise you and thank you for this wonderful church family we have. They have carried me through many ups and downs, and we carry each other. And also thank you for the times and the talents they give to this church, because without them we would not be able to carry our children's worships and our worships in our sanctuary. Just thank you for the times and the talent, and thank you for our staff and their love for you. I pray that you lift up the prayers of our prayers of our prayer team in the next room. And I pray that you will use the our members that are on the finance committee that are coming up with our budgets. I pray that you will you always meet our needs and I open their eyes to these needs and where it may be. Now I pray that you take these offerings and use them for your kingdom that we might glorify thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. I realize full well this is not stewardship season yet, although the finance committee is working on the budget, as, as Cynthia alluded to. But I'm here in First Chronicles, and going through the Bible is a passage of Scripture that grabbed my heart and would not let go. The book of Chronicles is primarily a history of the kingships of David and Solomon, told from the perspective of a priest. A priest has gone back and looked at the kingships of David in First Chronicles and Solomon in Second Chronicles and is interpreting their kingship through the eyes of a priest. And what they interpret is when David and Solomon are faithful to God and when they serve God and when they honor God, Israel is blessed. A lot of kings who didn't do that and Israel suffered, but David and Solomon are the two kings that they hold up in such high esteem. And and Chronicles goes back and interprets their kingship through those lenses. In the middle of the Chronicle story of David's kingship in 1 Chronicles is this passage about David and a simple field owner by the name of Ornan. And I need to give you some background before we read the passage because we're jumping into the middle of an account where King David is being commanded by God to go and make an offering to the Lord. What precipitated this is that earlier David was feeling kind of proud of himself and all of his accomplishments during his latter years. So he asked Joab, one of his military generals, to take some soldiers and go out across the countryside and count all the people of Israel, count their number. The Lord didn't like that. Why? What difference should it make to the Lord how many people David had? Well, the Lord was angry because David, he knew that David would attribute his success to himself and what he had accomplished. It'd be the same thing if David sat down in his counting house and counted all his money. When you stop and and take stock of everything you've accumulated, you tend to think that you did it, that you earned it, that Israel was blessed because of you. And God didn't appreciate that attitude. And so God prepared to punish David and told David that he had one of three choices, one of three options for punishment. It's kind of like when your father comes to you and says, you're going to get a spanking. Do you want the paddle? the switch, or the belt. I mean, you're sitting there thinking, what's going to hurt the least? And that's what David did. The Lord came and he said, you're going to, you can have three years of famine, you can have three months of destruction by your enemies, or you can have three days of judgment by an angel of the Lord. Three years famine, three months Destruction by enemy, three days of judgment. What did David choose? He chose three days of judgment by an angel of the Lord. It was a death angel. And the Bible says 70,000 Israelites died in those three days. God, in his mercy, stopped the angel when it came to Jerusalem because it was his holy city. And David is in anguish because of his sin of pride, which brought so much pain upon his people. And as he prayed, we begin our scripture this morning in verse 18 of first Chronicles chapter 21. The angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and rear up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. 
So David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel. What angel? It's the death angel. 70,000 Israelites just died, remember? He saw an angel of the Lord and his four sons who were with him. What did they do? They ran and hid themselves. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went forth from the threshing floor and did obeisance, obeisance to David with his face on the ground. And David said to Ornan, give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. Ornan said to David, take it. and Let my Lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for a cereal offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, no, but I will buy it for full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings, which cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of the burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into its sheath. So the deaths among the Israelites ceased. It's an interesting story. What's it trying to teach us? Let's pray. Father, open our eyes and our hearts to receive the full message that you want us to have this day and change us by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the best known statements about giving is in this passage in 1 Chronicles. I will not take from the Lord, verse 24, what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings which cost me nothing. I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. It's powerful. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you give to the Lord that which cost you nothing... How much of your heart's going with it? Nothing. It reminds me of a story from a few Christmases ago. I have a friend in South Carolina that usually visits us at Christmas. And and one Christmas, I was trying to think of some present to give him. And uh, I remember that he liked pocket knives. He always carried a pocket knife with him. And I had a couple of those little pocket knives. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I have a couple of these little pocket knives that banks give away as promotional items. And it had the bank's name on it and the bank's logo. And, and, and yes, that's what I gave him for Christmas. Imagine how I feel every year when we get together again for Christmas and he pulls that knife out of his pocket to open up the Christmas presents I gift him. I feel terrible. And I don't know if he carries the knife just because he thinks that much of me and uses that knife to remember me by. I don't know if he carries that knife to shame me because every year when he pulls it out, I'm so ashamed that I gave him a little knife I got for free at a bank for Christmas. I don't know if he pulls that knife out and uses it just because he likes it. I doubt it, but that's possible. I'll tell you one thing. It taught me a lesson about giving something to someone that cost me nothing. It's like going to McDonald's and getting a a Happy Meal and then taking the toy that comes with a Happy Meal and giving it to somebody for a birthday present. That's crummy. How many of you have done it? I wouldn't admit it either. That's awful. Well, we come to this statement by David. 
And it's a great principle. But I really want to focus on what Ornan did, because Ornan's a guy just like you and I, and what he gave to the Lord that day. David was one of the wealthiest men alive in that day. It would be like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates coming to me and saying, Wayne, I've been thinking about building a, Bill Gates, I'm going to build a Microsoft warehouse in Tifton, and I need your house and land to build it on. And he says, can I, can I buy it from you? And I say, okay, Bill, but I'm not sure you have enough money to pay for it. It's going to cost $100,000. How's that sound? Bill Gates says, sounds good to me. It's the same way with David. What he pays for Ornan's threshing floor that day is chump change. It's pocket change to King David. But he's going to pay him something because he doesn't want to give to the Lord that which cost him nothing. Ornan, on the other hand, he's a, he's a working stiff. He's like you and I. He's a, a working family man. He's out there on the farm day after day making a living. He's not poor, but he's not rich either. And when David, King David comes to him and says, I want your threshing floor, what does Ornan do? He gives it. He gives everything. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. What was his motivation? Why was he willing to give everything? Because, it's because, verse 20, because he feared the Lord. Verse 20, Ornan was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him went and hid themselves. Can you imagine what ran through Ornan's mind when he looked up and saw that angel? That was the angel that had, in three days, dispatched 70,000 Israelites. So Ornan is looking over his shoulder at that angel. His sons are hiding somewhere in the bushes. And David says, Ornan, I need your feel for the Lord. What are you going to say? Hey man, take it. You got it all. You want to build an altar to the Lord? I'll tell you what. Here are my oxen for the burnt offering. Here's my wooden, here are my wooden threshing sledges you can use to build the fire with. And here's my crop of wheat for a cereal offering. If Ordan had anything, he, I'm not surprised he didn't offer David the shirt off his back. He would have given everything because that's what Ornan basically was doing. Verse 21 tells us that King David came up to Ornan and Ornan threw himself on the ground and paid homage to King David. I don't know how much access the average Israelite had to King David in that day, but it probably wasn't very much. You look at Queen Elizabeth riding through somewhere in England. And I mean, she has an entourage, she has guards, and if you want to see her, you're going to be about a quarter of a mile away from her just to catch a glimpse. That's how much the people of England love their queen and, and Prince William and Kate and Harry and that whole family. Well, that doesn't begin to compare to the notoriety and esteem that David held in his day. He was already a legend in his lifetime among his people. And here he comes up to this humble farmer named Ornan and asks for his field. And Ornan gives it. He gives everything. Maybe you can see where I'm headed with this. Because if Ornan was willing to give everything he had to an earthly king, how much more should we be willing to give everything we have that already belongs to him to a heavenly king? By 
by offering it to him, you're just expressing to him that you have faith in his ability to provide for you and your family. Let me give you an example. If Jesus were to walk into the sanctuary this morning, what would you do? I hope you wouldn't ask, what are you doing here? But, but he says to you, listen, listen, Joe, he sits down. I have this mission project I'm trying to raise some money for. Him. I, want to, I want to buy some Bibles to distribute over in Thailand. Do you think you can help me out a little bit? What would you say? Uh, gee, I'm sorry, Jesus, but I've got these bills coming up, and I've got mortgage payments and, and retirement and college education. I'll tell you what I'll do. When I get everything caught up and all my bills paid off, you can have whatever's left over. Is that what, of course that's not what you'd say. I'm telling you that if Jesus walked in the doors of this sanctuary this morning, every one of you, except those of you who are sleeping right now, every one of us would fall prostrate on our faces on the ground and give, when we could scrape ourselves up, we would offer to Jesus everything we had. Well, the good news is that Jesus is here in the form of the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, and and by the way, I own those thousand hills too. But I want you. I want you, and if your money is standing in the way of giving yourself to me, then get rid of it. It's not worth it. Trust me to take care of you. And so look what Ornan gave, verse 23. Ornan said to David, take it. Let my lord the king do what seems good to him. Here's oxen for the burnt offering and threshing sledges for the wood and wheat for the cereal offering. I give it all. Ornan gave David everything he had. All his livelihood, all his ability to make a living in the future because the tools he used for threshing were about to become firewood for an offering for the Lord. That's sacrificial giving. The land was all an Israelite had. His family had probably been working that land for generations since the children of Israel entered the promised land. And every Israelite knew every square inch of his land like the back of his hand. And it wasn't just a piece of dirt that Ornan had. This is prime farmland on top of Mount Moriah. Perfect soil for growing wheat. How is he going to make a living now for his four sons and his wife? What's he going to tell his wife when he gets home about what happened to his property and and all his possessions? Those are good questions, but they aren't really relevant when the king is standing in front of you asking you for something. When the king made his request, Ornan felt compelled to give. And when Ornan gave the threshing floor and everything else to David, David could have just taken it. But he paid a good price, and when Ornan went home that evening, he was better off financially than when he left the house that morning because I tried to figure out how much 600 shekels of gold are by weight today. It's about $20,000, I figure. Doesn't sound like a whole lot for all of your possessions, but when you remember that a day's wage in Jesus back in the Old Testament was a penny a day, $20,000 is a lot of money. And because Ornan was willing to give sacrificially to David, David was generous with Ornan, and David was going to turn and offer it to the Lord because he wanted it to cost him something. Now, let me skip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, because here's the rest of the story. 
Second Chronicles 3, verse 1 says this. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. You know what that is? That's the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed. Where was it? On the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. You see what's happening? If you were to go to Israel today and stand in what was once the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, the big temple, you'd be standing smack dab in the middle of Ornan's threshing floor. Solomon built his great temple there. The Jews later built a second temple there. King Herod came in and renovated it. Jesus ministered there. And one day when Jesus returns, he'll sit on his throne on the old threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. How about that? Do you think old Ornan had any idea how he was going to be participating in the work of God when he gave his threshing floor to David and said, here, take it all? I don't think he did any more than you and I know how far reaching every dime we give to the budget or to state missions or to the Gideons or anything else we give to the Lord, how far reaching that can go. Ornan simply had the blessing that came from knowing he was serving his king who was being obedient to the Lord and he was being rewarded for doing so. And I believe God will reward you and me too. I know he has me. You might not see it in the clothes I wear or the toys I have. But I'm confident that each week, when I give a tithe to the Lord, he's meeting my needs over and above. And because I trust him to keep meeting my needs, I give. Because he deserves it. And we don't want to give him that which costs us nothing. Shall we pray? Father, I know you've taught me a lot about stewardship in this passage of Scripture. What David insisted on doing when he could have taken something for free. Ornan's response when he understood that his king asked him for something. And what that says to us today. Father, we are here offering ourselves to you. If there's anything that stands in the way of our trust for you. If there's anything that reflects our faith in you. Let us offer it fully to Thee. If it's our time, if it's talents that we've been withholding, reluctant to to give to You and Your kingdom, if it's some understanding, knowledge that we have that we could impart by teaching a Sunday school class, if it's our finances, Lord, that, that we hold on to because we don't trust You enough to take care of us, Father, help us offer it all to Thee and discover the joy that comes from living within Your will 
and trusting you to take care of us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gary and I left Friday and came back last night to a men's retreat. About 60 men from our church are up in LJ right now. They're praying for us and praying for this service. And uh, just the portion of that retreat that Gary and I had the privilege of participating in, these men were pouring out their hearts and, and, and openly sharing their struggles of being a Christian husband and father and, and how, how to express that openly in, in their home and in their community. So you pray for them while they're doing that. They're praying for us now while we have our invitation. In our early service, Grace Hall came upon profession of faith. Lauren Barr came upon profession of faith. And Lauren's family came upon transfer of letter. Keith and Pinky Barr and Logan. And the doors of fellowship are open now. And if you feel led through the Holy Spirit to come and make your decision public, professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this church, You do so while we stand and sing 294. Have thine own way, Lord, you come, and I'll be at the front to receive you. Please come.